And welcome back to another episode of the Foolproof Truth Bourbon Podcast. Mike and Jeff back at you for another episode, another great episode. Good morning. Mike, how you doing? Good afternoon. Yes. How you feeling today? Uh... A little sluggish, but I think I'm going to get through today. How about you? I think you were still stunned from me showing up on time. You know what? Perhaps that is it. I'm the dot. And I think think we should do a show entirely on that. You showing up on time. Well, yeah, then, for sure. <laughs> on that note, what do you got? What do we got lined up today? Because I, I see a bunch of glasses and I see a bunch of bottles that I really haven't seen before. Huh. So what we're going to start off with today is a quick review on the uh, Blantons, which <clears throat> everybody seems to be chasing. Um, and then we're going to switch it up and do uh, a review on the Canadian version of Blantons, which is the uh, Caribou Crossing. I did not know that there was a canadian version of blanton's well they they kind of it, it's not official hype? but the, what it is is because blanton's has a fancy horse and uh caribou has the uh caribou fancy on the top. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the deer up top yeah yeah that is is that the only thing oh it looks like the bottles are very similar very similar yeah that similar neck to them Yep, similar okay. uh different types of shapes obviously but they're completely different bourbons Personally Excuse speaking, me. I like Excuse the me. caribou better. Per, they're totally different whiskeys. Yes, they are. Oh, yes, they and are. That now I see why you have the bottle of Macallan. Oh, we have a Macallan twelve year up on yes, the we board. Do. We've got some Jameson, and yes, we, we have do. some Old Pepper Rye. Something tells me you've got something special in store for me today. What you got going on? I do. So we're, we're going to discuss the five types of whiskeys today, which are your American whiskey. Um, we'll touch on bourbon. Uh, Irish whiskey, Japanese whiskey, Canadian whiskey, and that crappy stuff right there called scotch. Oh, you just alienated a third of our crowd. You better <laughs> stop that mess. I love a good scotch. I, I don't know that me? I can get past the peated smell for me. That's really tough. But oh, the, the guy with the nose and the taste buds on top of all is is on a struggle, guys. What do you what do you say about that? So so from what I understand is your first scotch, you're going to hate it. And then you're going to go back to it maybe a year later and you're going to go, Hmm, this is okay. And then you're going to go back to it a year later and now you're a scotch drinker. It, some people, once they switch over and they get used to a drier bourbon right. or a drier whiskey, all of a sudden it like a refining, like a tuning in a wine, you start to hmm. find yourself falling into a certain spectrum. Wine does the same thing, folks. I mean, that's why there's so many different type of grapes around the world. And you fall into either a real heavy, thick cab, or you go into a little bit lighter Pinot Noir, right? Um, or you just fall away from the reds altogether. You're running yourselves to the whites, and then the whites have the dry and the wets. But we are going to talk about this thing called whiskey. And a lot of folks asked it in the very beginning. Well, what, what's the differences and what does it mean? And let me explain to the folks. We have, the best way I've explained it to people is um, if you say the word whiskey, think of it as dog. Okay. And then you have German shepherds, you have boxers, maybe the bourbon is the boxer, the German shepherd is a scotch, the dachshound is the rye, whatever you want to make up, take it down the road. But it's types of whiskey. And that's what Jeff's going to take us through is what makes each whiskey um what it is so do you want to um tell me about the five different ones you have actually what i want to do first is take a little nibble of these uh beautiful samples we have laid out in front of us here yes they're uh they're they're wonderful um immediately can smell the difference between the blantons and the caribou immediately well sure and and the reason is you got what one is well we'll talk about each one of them but why don't we <clears throat> Why don't we start start at the top? Um, I've got five uh, whiskeys. Okay, you got five in front of me. One of them is going to be uh, American with an E in it. Yes, and uh, we'll help you guys with a little acronym here. If your country that you're drinking from does not have an E, then it's spelled S K Y. Right. So Canada, Japan. And Scotland, Scotland, right? Yep. They spell them S-K-Y. Now, 
excuse me, um, Ireland and America. They've got E's and they put S-K-E-Y. So there's your little, little tip for the day. So over in America, we have um, bourbon. And what makes a bourbon, Jeff? Tell me what, what is exactly a bourbon. Um, it's particularly made in Kentucky. It doesn't have to be. Should be at least 51% corn. No additives except water. That means no coloring, no caramel, no flavoring additives. Um, and it must be aged in new oak barrels for at least two years. And that's what they call straight bourbon. Well, and what you gave to us as our first straight bourbon is Bland's. Yes, I All did. Right, well, let's take a little smell. What, what did you get? Did you, you've already had a sip of it, haven't I you? I did, I did. It's, it's, it's got a little sweetness to it on the nose. Mm-hmm. And if I'm comparing that to the Caribou, at least. And it does have a sweetness right up front. Why, why is this bottle so heavily hyped? Why are people <clears throat> standing outside the stores for this bottle? Dramatic pause. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Because <laughs> I can't figure it out. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, they do it with Eagle Rare, too. You know, people are posting pictures all over the website. And here's a PSA, guys. Found in the wild. Just Ooh. stop. Stop <laughs> chasing that shit. <laughs> it's okay. But damn, you don't have to stand outside the store for a bottle of Eagle Rare. There are far better bottles for 30 bucks. And you love the Eagle Rare. I do. I, I, I do like it. I don't own a bottle, guys. I have drank from everyone else's when they say, oh, well, I got a great bourbon. You know, folks are new to bourbon. Oh, I heard you like bourbon. Pour me an Eagle Rare. I hide the rolling of my eyes. <laughs> I say, oh, this ought to be fun. This is great. And I drink it. And yep. I'm not going to doubt. If this is the best bottle in this guy's eyes, and this is the best bottle on his shelf, and he's offered me the best bottle on his shelf. I'm a humble man. Yeah. And I, and I, and I say, this is the greatest stuff. Oh, you, you did a great job. This is really cool. Because you know what? When someone offers you at their bar and they reach all the way to the top, okay, that, you know, that, that's a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want to, I'm not going to belittle that. I'm not going to say, God, this is garbage. You should try this instead. No, because we got some pretty good etiquette going. All right. However, when someone's coming over to my house, they kind of gauge them. I always ask them, what's your favorite bourbon on earth? What's your favorite? And if they come in and they tell me, you know, um, Woodford, Basil Hayden, right? (laughs) Well, then, then, then maybe I will pull out a Blanton's or an Eagle Rare because that is one step above what they're used to. And it's a real treat for them. Am I going to pull out my E.H. Taylor barrel proof? Who wouldn't know, right? And if you've never had that, I highly suggest you find that. That's worth standing in line for. <laughs> yeah, that it is. is. So Blanton's, what did you what did you get on the nose and what did you get on the taste? It, and what did I, you I finish got, up? It's very sweet on the nose. Mm. And it's very sweet going down. Um, <clears throat> do I like it? Absolutely, I like it. It's something I, I would I like absolutely it. own more of. It's flat for me in the middle. And yeah, in the middle and then, it, it and then it has a little bit of a little stinger bite on the end, which which for me falls it right back into the $40, $50 bourbons like everything else. But what everyone likes is right up front, there is so much caramel. There's so much sweet little creme brulee up front. You yep. get that wonderful, the nose of Blanton's probably just smacks people. It's saying, oh, I've never smelled something so creamy. Yeah, and that's probably why people chase it so much. But I, exactly, you hit the nail on the head. There's... Nothing there in the middle. It's flat. It is. It goes it's very flat. It, for me, it does. And then yeah. on the and then and it has just a little bit of a. There's no. There's no little buzz on the lips. Doesn't tell you that it's hanging around. Um. Oh God, Jeff. What did I have the other day that just hung around forever in the back? Of, um. I'll get back to that. We had a. You and I had a bourbon that just hung around forever. And I just loved it because of it. Um. I know we did the old granddad, and we really both loved that. Uh, I might have been off. Oh, I know what it was. You know what it was? I when I went um golfing, I went the Remus repeal. Oh me and my me and my buddy out there in Jackson, he he just did not know what it was. And I was at Remus six and it just hung around and hung around. It's like, yeah, I like you. It's very <laughs> that's very near and dear to my heart. And 
That is, and my palate. And that's a rye blend. So let's, speaking of that, let's move on. I think we've touched on, on the Blantons. If I did a ranking of it, you know, I'd put it right around a 7.5. I'd put it right in the middle. I would not chase this bourbon. 100% agree with you I, on that. If I can find it for 60 bucks um, at, at the store, you never, oh. folks, you're never going to hear me saying I'm doing anything in the wild. I, just stop that craziness. You're going to a liquor store. And you found it at a liquor store who's selling liquor, by the way. But when I find a bourbon out there, okay, if I want to feel like a hunter, I'm in the wild, great, whatever you guys want to say. But Blanton's, I find it for 60 bucks, I'm buying it. I will. Agree. I'll, I'll buy it. And you know what? I'll give it to someone as a gift. And it'll be the greatest gift ever. Right? <laughs> People love you for that. As a matter of fact, you gave me a bottle of this as a... Uh, Little promotional thing that happened to me when you uh, a couple got of years your back. Journeyman promotion, you did. Yeah. I got, and what did you think when you received it? Was it oh man, it was. I was ready for the parade to go down the street here because Aww. you know this was so hyped up, man. And this when was, we when you first tasted it, it was one of the best. Oh you ever man, tasted. yeah, it was. Right? Yes, it was. Now this is back in the days when Angels Envy and Jefferson Ocean and some of the basic bourbons were, were at the top of his list. So everyone grows, and fair enough to grow. And realistically, those are some great bottles. T today they are. They yeah, still are. Sure. They're still pretty good. All right, we're going to move on to the what do you got next? We Caribou have Crossing, spelled with S K Y because it's from Canada. Yes. Okay, tell me a little bit about Canadian whiskey. What do, what do we know about Canadian whiskey? Wow, you caught me off guard. You really caught me off guard on that. I was not prepared to tell you about Canadian whiskey at this current moment, but I will. Canadian whiskey, most relaxed rules of the major whiskey nations. Each distillery can follow its own production process and methods. So it's a little bit more regulated in the United States, and it is not in Canada. It must be mashed, distilled, and aged in Canada. It must be aged in small wood for not less than three years. Mm -hmm. They follow they follow exactly what Scotland um, and Ireland do. Both okay. of those and Japan. They okay. all have a three-year minimum. All of them do. The only one who doesn't really is the United States, which is only two-year. Right. So in Canada... You can add flavoring and coloring to the whiskey. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. okay? Which to me, uh, I don't know if I like that. Well, let's find out. Yeah, um, it okay. must possess aroma, taste, and character generally attributed to Canadian whiskey, and that is pretty vague. But that's uh, that's what their FDA standards say. What's the proof on the caribou? The proof on Mr. Caribou. It looks like it is a 90, is that 80 or 90 proof? It's kind of hard for me to tell. Mm. Yeah, you're going to ask me with my glasses. <laughs> Let's just go with it's under 100. There's no way I could. Yeah, it's. it looks that. like it's a 90 proof to what, me. Folks on Facebook, uh, as you guys follow us, if you guys send out, go ahead and uh, post to the crowd. Your first, first guy to give us a correction statement. Uh, on Caribou Crossing, tell us what the proof is. I can taste that is definitely under. I don't think it's ninety proof, but uh, maybe we'll have Jessica come down and uh, give us a little. So what I taste with here, I go with with the Canadian. It's a blend. Now Caribou Crossing is a blend, okay? Just like almost all of the um, whiskeys that come out of Canada are, which I never understood why they didn't have something distinct and sustained. And maybe follow, you know, give themselves some some little bit richer history because what they do up there, maybe they're growing season shorter, so it's not as big of an industry. But I get myself a nice little middle middle of the road taste yep. flavor. I also taste water. It, it is, is. It is. It's you can definitely tell it's on the lower proof. It would be for an, for someone drinking on a brand new basis if you're really young into it and you're excited. And there's folks out there that just can't. I'm telling you, I've got a good my best buddy who's on the water fishing right now. Can't stand anything over 90 proof. Just it's not his game. So if you're if you're in the low proof range and you enjoy your low proofs and you want something, or if you have to add a lot of water or ice, this is your baby. 
because this right here, right off the bat, is nice, smooth from the beginning to the end. It doesn't have any peaks, doesn't have any valleys. It just stays. The finish, in my opinion, I don't have any. There's no finish. It's dulled down because of the water. But I personally, I'm a high proof guy. You give me 115 and above and I'm a happy little camper. This one here, I can spin it around. The viscosity is average to below average. And when I drink it, I get nothing but nice. I get a little more nice. And on the end, I get nice. People would call this smooth, right? They would say it's smoother than Blanton's by a mile, and that's why they love it so much. Yeah, and I, it is one of my favorites, but like you, I am a high-proof bourbon uh, connoisseur, <laughs> I'll say. Uh, I don't like a lower-proof bourbon. It just doesn't do anything for me. I want to taste the flavors. Oh. I don't want to have to search for them like a POW. I, I want to... I want them to be right there ready to go. I'm dying laughing because this reminds me, oh my God, when I was young kids and you used to sneak your dad's uh, Seagram's. Oh, geez. Or his, his Seagram's? No, his, well, that's a Canadian whiskey. It but is. then I would add water to fill it back up. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny you say that because in, in Canada, what they do is they create two different. Um, uh, you know, two different bases. You, you you have your you have your alcohol, and then you have your flavoring, and then they blend them two together. Okay. So, to me, it just doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't man. work. Well, I'll tell you what. We've been stay. We stayed over on the west side of the pond, and uh, eventually we've got to come over and cross over to the east side to the malt land, right? where malt is the thing. So where we left with America, we were leaving America goodbye. Corn, 51% corn. Canada is also uh, corn-based. No. Uh, excuse me. No, I believe Canada is mostly rye-based. Um, I think when I read up on it, they also have uh, wheats. They, they, have a, they have a lot. They, they use all of them, Okay. So we can circle back, or if you guys come on Facebook, or if you guys come on and leave us in the comments, tell us a little bit more about the Canadian Rye. Remember, guys, we always told you, and we haven't stopped, we don't portray ourselves as experts. Okay, Not at all. We're just we're, Right now, we're just singing along, talking about topics that we think you'd enjoy. And uh, maybe you can learn with us. We learn a little bit, and we sure do like to drink them. But, uh, but now we're going to go across here to Europe. Yeah, we're yeah, we're going to move into Scotch. This is this is something you can handle because I by far I'm not a Scotch guy. Scotland? Yes, oh, no. Scotland. So it, you do have several different types. You've got a single malt, you've got a blended malt, you have blended and then you have single grain. And that all is whiskey with air quotes. Well, these are uh charred uh, and they are you don't have to have new Charred barrels, they can reuse your barrels. Yes. Three-year minimum. And scotch, to be con con considered a single malt, what that really means is you came and you went in one single dis distillate. So, okay. so, correct me if I'm wrong, but they use barley as their main grain. Always. Correct. And um, they have different regions across their country. Bless their heart. I believe it's four main distilleries or areas. Um, a, what I was taught was you actually can order online. You can order the spring water from that local region. So where McAllen is grown, and we're going to stay with McAllen for today because not only is that the most unique of all the scotches, I think it's done um, extremely well. I really like what they do with their product, their marketing. When it comes over here, you are not getting overpriced. There's not a heavy aftermarket for it but it is rather scarce when i put all the different scotches together a couple that i like i'm sure you guys are going to hit me because i'm not going to say your favorite scotch but um you know um glen going glen Meringue, um what else lafroig sure that's that's probably my one of my favorites mm. also but those all have a very i think they're coming from one side of the region mccallan is a little bit different so today we have a 12-year sherry cask, McAllen. The reason I brought that over today, Jeff, is because um, it has one. Whenever we've done our scotch blinds, 
it beat 15, 18 year old scotches. It just did. It is so hard for me to get past that peated smell. It's okay. It is just overwhelming to me. Wow. And, and call it, of course, when I was young, young in my age, this is the first thing that I threw up to. <laughs> yeah, I don't see how that's just, not possible. Just... And, and, and you know what? Dad, Dad got his water down for <laughs> oh, he got he got water down scotch and he didn't who knows but whenever anyone came over they always had mild scotches and mild whiskeys i don't know why <laughs> so right up front you got that peaty smell yeah all right yeah and that's hard to get past for mm. me but the flavor mm. is pretty decent oh. I, it's just kind of plug your nose no no to me. no this is hold this your is breath and swallow beautiful this is soft on the front it's got just a little bit of nibble bites right on the middle of your tongue coming through. It's got a drier finish than bourbon because that's what we want to do is we want to yes. compare what a scotch is to a bourbon on your tongue, right? And here I go. Um, I call this like a dry wine for me. Okay. <clears throat> and right up front, it has a, a very similar uh, initial uh, oak taste. I catch the oak. You catch the peat. You definitely catch the malt. All right. That... that for me, this is what attracts people to scotch and away from bourbon. They don't like the sweetness. They want something a little drier. They want something a little bit more earthy. And, and this is why they come over to scotches. So mm. if I take the scotch. I think it's something I can definitely learn to appreciate and like. Um, it's mm. just getting past that peated, peated smell for me is going to be the hardest part. What I love about it is it reminds me of it's a medium bodied uh, liquor. Um, what I mean by that is anyone who does the wines, you know that a cab is a full-bodied. And then in France, they have what's called the Beaujolais. And the Beaujolais is a medium or a lighter, like a midday type wine. Mm. You don't drink the heavy stuff in the middle of the day. Okay. They have an easy Beaujolais for day, day drinking. I kind of like it, but I don't like it at, with my steak per se. Okay. This, this Macallan or a Scotch for me is something that we could drink in the summer. I could drink it midday, and I just really like it. I like scotches. Um, an 18-year-old Glen, anything 18 years old in a scotch, I think is just really pr pretty high quality. You're not going to get me to say anything bad about a scotch. So as in bourbon, you have your aged stated bourbons. Are, are the aged stated scotches oh. the same way as bourbons as they tend no. to be better? The older they are? Well, I mean, short answer is no for we know that with bourbons, 8 to 12 years is your baby. Yes, That's sir. That's your best year. It seems that once you get past 15 years, you start to grow and taste far more oak. Mm -hmm. A 20-year bourbon, a 23, a 25-year bourbon um, just has that real almost like bitter birch taste on the end of it because okay, it sat in the barrel for so long it's it does now with a scotch it's different and it just is for whatever reason they just it just grows finer and finer and thicker and heavier um and that character folds in so if you get yourself a bottle of 18 year or a 20 year bottle or 24 year you're going to pay through the nose because they're just holding on to that you know but it's it's worth it Okay. But again, like they have their secondary markets. Once you hit the, I'd say once you get to the 15, the 18, the 20 years, they have their secondary markets that really raise that price up too. So it comes down to what your taste buds are and what your wallet uh, feels it can afford. Now, one thing I did notice is if I can walk into my local store and per se, I'm hunting for Blanton's, I'm not going to really find that on the shelf. But I'm look, if I'm looking for a 12-year Macallan, that's on the shelf all day long. They do, but they also price it accordingly. Gotcha. So your your Johnny so, your Johnny Blue is always going to be two to three hundred dollars. So so what's a bottle of the Macallan twelve year cost? Used to be seventy five was what I'd pay for it. I'm seeing it now creep up to a hundred bucks. It looks like how much I've got left. I better go buy another bottle <laughs> because yeah. we're drinking the bottom of one of my favorites. And the only reason it's a favorite is because everyone who comes over in the blinds. They're just so surprised by that little 12-year bottle. And, now, that's let me, why, and that's why I brought it over. Now, let me ask you this. In the bourbon world, when we say we open it up, we let the bottle breathe, 
it tends to open up the flavors. Does that hold true with the scotch as well? Mm -hmm. It does. Actually, um, what we've learned is um, I had a friend of mine tell me that he actually buys online the spring water from the region that that bottle was made. So if you're on the west side, he has a west spring water. And what he adds is, ready, for a two-finger dram or for a one-and-a-half-finger dram, he adds one-third of a teaspoon of spring water to open up his scotch. Okay, Fair so kind of like the limestone water you get from Kentucky. Or so. just like that. Perfect. You nailed it. I didn't yeah. know you could actually buy that. So the little te- third teaspoon is what I've been doing in my bourbons when they were high proof. Now I've just taken that completely out of the equation. Yeah, for sure. So that is our first three. We've hit the West Coast. Now we're on the East Coast. Why don't we stay with it and let's just talk about Ireland. Let's talk about Irish whiskeys. Yes. And typically, what everyone uh, claims that is Jameson Irish whiskey. Is Redbreast Irish whiskey? Yes, it is. And it is really good. I highly recommend the 12-year. Tell me all about it. Um, memory is a little foggy on it, but I had it at an Irish pub in Cleveland um, just because they didn't really have a great bourbon selection. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely going to be on the hunt for a bottle. Now, there's a 12-year and a 15-year. I don't know if there's anything higher than that. Um, like I said, I had the 12-year. Had it on one ice cube. Very smooth. Great flavor. Something I definitely want on my shelf. So in Ireland, they do the same thing. They have a three-year minimum age statement. But what else makes Ireland? What does it makes it a little bit unique about uh, Irish whiskey? It's a product of a single distillery. It's 100% barley and pot stills. Like you said, usually about three distillation runs. Um, you've got your grain whiskey, blended, single pot. Um, what else we got? And uh, like I said, it's unique to Ireland. It shares some of the similarities to scotch, but it has its own deviations. Um Heated by coal or gas, it's used to roast the malted barley. Mm. Comes clear barley flavor instead of the smoky peat flavor you find in scotch. Mm. I think it's a whiskey all day long. Definitely. I think it's a whiskey. I, I, actually, if, the, if they're very similar, they're both using malts. Is that what you said? They're using malts on an Irish whiskey? Uh, barley, yes. Barley. Barley. Oh, well, there's your difference. Okay, so that takes that takes the, the, the Highland peats out of there. Right, yeah, it, it's uh, they use corn or wheat in the distilled process. Now, most Irish whiskeys that come over to the United States, it still is diluted down to eighty proof, ninety proof. Right, the proof is lower, so it puts you. Um, I would say it comes over, but just has a little bit more of a punch to it. it has more flavor than I would say a Canadian whiskey. In my my opinion, mm-hmm. and that's why I like it. That's why, and I'm sorry, guys, but anytime I'm downtown Detroit, you know, right before the game, I don't know what the tradition or why it hits me, but God, I, I need to have me a double of Jameson. All right, uh, and, and, you know, call that the cheap stuff, but but right before I'm going to the ballpark, the anxiety of the I don't have the anxieties, but some people do. Um, but but being around a crowd of people, you want know, to get a little bit loosened up. Give me a double of Jameson with a Coca Cola on the side. And, and goddamn, I'm going to go have a good day. I'm going to have a great day, actually. So on that note, that takes us uh, down the line, right? Yeah. The only thing talk we about have Japan? Japanese whiskey. Want to talk about Japan? Uh, let's, let's touch on the uh, let's touch oh, on the rise. Quiz, quiz for you, Japan. Is it spelled S-K-I or S-K-E-Y? S-K-Y. Ooh. All right. S-K-Y. Here we go. So Japan got into this later in the game. They, they picked it up and brought this back to their country. And what makes Japanese whiskey unique? So I don't have a whole lot of research on Japanese whiskey. Um, I can tell you that it was first modeled after scotch, made in a very similar way. But, uh, yes. But? Commercially produced in Japan since the 1920s. Uh, Japanese whiskey makers craft a range of styles and tastes according to their individual desires. So it seems that... But what's their main mash made from? Their main mash? Oh, man. rice. Really? Yes, absolutely. It's a a rice base, and you can taste it. You definitely can taste it. That's what makes it really unique. Now, for me, I have... In Japan, Jeff, woof, I get headaches. For whatever reason, this is the whiskey that I'm guaranteed... 
a hammer headache the next day. Folks, you can go on and uh, come on Facebook, go to Foolproof Truth Bourbon. Uh, let us know how we're doing so far. Uh, let us know what details we mix, if there's some stuff that you want to add to it. And uh, come join us because this is a, this is an enjoyable conversation. There are folks that swear by J Japanese whiskey; they love it. Never had it. You've never had. Never it. had a Japanese whiskey. So we're not the experts, right? Not in the least. Bit. Okay, J guys, folks out there, if you want to convert Jeff to fall in love with Japanese whiskey, give me a recommendation. Tell me what you think that he should be trying as his next. And, and do me a favor too. Tell me a scotch that doesn't have that peated smell to it, so I can try that as well. You aren't going to get that. I disagree with you on that. Uh, well, then let me know because I think every single scotch from you know with the Highlands from the Highlands. I'm sorry, brother. They're going to have a peaty taste to it, and you're going to love it after a while. <laughs> so we have now we've hit four of our five. We're staying now. We're going to come back to the United States. They're coming back to rye whiskeys. And yeah. this is a completely unique and really the big difference between a rye whiskey and a bourbon is what, Jeff? What do you got? 51% rye grain. Okay. But and? can range anywhere from 51 to 100%. 51% is the least. What's your favorite rye whiskey? Ooh, damn. You threw me out on the on the limb here. Okay. Uh, the Remus is definitely, <laughs> definitely high on my list. Uh, the E.H. Taylor is pretty high on it. Re read that label right there. Pull that label and read that to me, because I, I always find that so intriguing every time I look at a Remus repeal. And uh, you are putting me on the spot here with this. You've got uh, twenty-one, you got twenty-one percent of a certain year, you've got twenty-four percent of another yeah. year. They blend different rick houses. The right? writing on this is just so small, it's kind of hard for me to read that. I was no, that's okay. Not prepared for any of that. But here I can read it for you guys. Yeah, please do. I can read it for you Take guys. Take over. Um it's got anywhere from 21 to 26% um, of different blends from different years of rye. It's always going to be 100 proof, and they just take their rye bases, and they just they, they go to work on trying to find something new and unique. That's why I like it, because number one... And it's MGP. When it comes out, yeah, and you know what? that That's another thing is that's probably the only MGP, to me, that's worth $100. All day long. All day long. Uh, All day long. I don't know how they do it, but they, they take the spiciness of a rye. Because everyone says, all oh, rye is more spicy. What it that is. usually means is it's going to kick you with hot. It's going to be a hot spice to it, right? Yeah, People definitely crisper. That, yeah. Spicier, crispier, less sweet, right? That's what a rye does to you yep. right up front. But um, for me, when – and this is a note to self, note to the team out there. When I – find myself in the 115 to the 128 proof rise, Ooh. the sweetness now becomes the powerhouse over yes. the spice. And it, to me, it smooths it out. It's the one, it's one of these whiskeys where the less water, the better for my palate. What do you okay. think? What yeah, you think? no, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you on that. And that's, that's where I was going to go next. I was going to ask you out of the samples we've tried today, out of the five different types of whiskeys, Oh, what was our, um, t tell the crowd, what was our, um, oh, you, you told them it was Old Pepper it's Rye? It's the Old Pepper Rye. That's mm. what we're sampling right now. Uh, we did do the Blantons, the Caribou Crossing. We tapped the McAllen 12-year. Now we're doing the Old Pepper Rye. Very good bottle for 40 bucks. I highly recommend you put one on your shelf. It's got a very nice, crisp, smooth flavor to it. Nice, upfront. There's a sweetness. Yeah. Very sweet. But boy, does it get a little bit bitey in the middle. I, I like it, though. I like that little bit of a burn. That little bit of a burn for you, huh? For yeah. me, I get, um, I caught cinnamon, and I did catch um, a little bit of heat. But then you sit afterwards. It's that lingering taste afterwards that I love about a rye. For whatever reason, a rye holds the back of my palate. In between sips, you come back, maybe touch water. But then you can taste it again, mm -hmm. and it's soft. Now, you mentioned cinnamon. I actually got some spearmint on it. Did you? I yeah. don't, I'm not good enough for like that. Like that Wrigley's Double Mint Gum? I got a little bit of that on you there. You did. Yes. Okay. You guys going to see that? Mm. No, that's that's probably one of my favorites is a rye. So of the five whiskey nations, what is your favorite? Bourbon. 
Bourbon, American whiskey, folks. There you what? have it. And we'd be interested to know what your favorite is and why. Check us out on Facebook at the Foolproof Truth Bourbon Podcast. Drop us opinions on there. See what the what you think. Well, if I if I put a ranking on this, um, obviously, um, it goes based on experience and and love. So, I mean, obviously, bourbon and rye are right up there tied. Uh, different times of day, different times of the year. Uh, right behind it, and I mean directly behind it, depending on the mood, give me a scotch. I'll take a scotch all day. Um, follow that right behind you with an Irish whiskey. Love them. Um, and then probably tailing up it would be a Canadian blend uh, when I'm hanging out with a, a large group of folks. And, and it's only because of the headache factor that I put Japanese whiskey as last. Um, it just my personal taste. So that's my rankings. How about you, Jeff? What do you rank it? I'm definitely going with American whiskey first, the uh, bourbon for sure. Um, I would probably go with an Irish whiskey next, mm -hmm. uh, just because of my experience with the red breast. Um, I could tell you, I believe scotch right now is going to be the last for me. Uh, I would probably put Japanese whiskey fourth and then Canadian third. That sounds like a great, I mean, that smells like you've done your homework on it. And at least you've taken a shot. I think all folks out there, I think you guys sh should try <laughs> all your different bourbons and try all your different whiskeys out there. Try yes. go around the world. Don't be afraid to do it. When we come back from this break, we're going to pick up on their next topic, which is going to be guns and gun ownership. It'd be very interesting. I don't want to lose your attention. So please stay tuned and we'll see you on the backside. <laughs> Hey, everybody, we're back. Hey, folks, uh, if you can't find us on Facebook, check us out at the Foolproof Truth Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out. Mike. Well, that's a, if they want to email us anything special, they want to talk about a topic. Absolutely. Or if, they, or if there's a certain man topic that they want to come across and they want to pour their heart out to us by email, we will not. We'll keep you anonymous. But if your content is right, we're going to spend some time talking to that email. So don't be afraid to email us at that address that Jeff just gave you. Uh, that leads us into our next uh, topic. We're going to talk about guns. Very controversial subject. Why? Shouldn't, um, it yeah. shouldn't be if it was done the right way. Correct. But with all the school shootings, mass shootings today, a lot of people are pointing their finger. At, hey, it's the guns. It's the guns. Would you agree with that? In some ways, yes. Mm. So... Once again, Jeff and I are going to have a little bit differing opinions on stuff as we start out talking. Of course, it's a bunch of guys. Like we're like we said, we're sitting around a fire. We're sitting around bars, tables, regular topics by regular guys lead into a man moment or leads into a moment, a woman moment where you just have something that's deep in your heart that you feel you got to get out. Now, this is a general topic. We feel that we're just going to fall into our man moment. So we're not going to differentiate them because this is a big boy topic. All, you, all the folks that are listening to us from outside of the United States, this is what we have in front of us. We have ourselves a constitution. The constitution of the United States was written and has been amended over the years. But the first uh, amendment to the constitution was to give the people the freedom of speech without any reparations or brutalizations by the government okay it was no mistake that the second amendment the amendment right behind the first amendment was a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed okay and then we went into the third fourth and fifth amendment and there was a whole lot of other items about being jailed for debt um ownerships, properties, and other things that the government, by law and by rights, you cannot infringe on the people's basic fundamental liberties. And so all of these amendments were built to actually protect the people from its government. And it served us well uh, for all these years. Now, we know that the Constitution is a free-flowing document, and we know that it uh, updates with the times. There are times when the justices 
were six to three in favor of a more socialist application of this. And guns were fundamentally outlawed from the people in the 20s, 30s, 40s. You are allowed rifles. You're allowed shooting for hunting. And But the protection of oneself and owning a gun was pretty strict. Um, that tide turned in the late 70s, early 80s. There was, we would say, a more liberal approach to gun rights. And that was brought on in the Reagan era where... There, uh, the more liberal approach was you're going to break down the Second Amendment and the shall not be infringed was more heavily led upon. In all the 90s, especially here in Michigan, we had a flurry of laws that were changed. And all those laws changed to free up and give people far more rights than they had in the 60s and 70s. Now, what are you dumping? The Stranahan's. Oh, tell me about this. Single malt whiskey. Now I figured out why I don't like it. It's because it's a single malt whiskey. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> this whole time. This is just not good. It's out of Colorado, yeah. but it is not corn. It's single malt. I don't know if any of their other products are good, but to me, this this. Wasted my money on this one. Well, you just now you know why. So yeah. that guys, you just got your foolproof truth bourbon opinion from Mr. Jeff on a certain type of bourbon. Me myself, as we talk about this uh, topic, um, you guys going to find out. Mike has got some bangers sitting in front of him. I got bangers in front of me, but I think it's worthy because I'm a veteran. I served military six years. I'm a nuclear engineer by trade. I did nuclear chemistry. And uh, I served aboard the great CVN-65, the USS Enterprise. And this was the uh, Enterprise that is the last of its name. They're going to bring back the name. Uh, there will be another Enterprise coming out. But um, we have temporarily halted the USS Enterprise name, which went all the way back to a schooner that we took from the British colony in the uh, late 1700s, there's always been a USS Enterprise in our Navy ever since. So with that said, I've got Stag Jr. in front of me and Remus number five. So tell me, Jeff, you wanted to talk about guns. And from your fundamental, you come from the down. Yeah, as everyone knows, Jeff comes from the depths of Detroit. You see a reason for guns. What do you, what do you feel? What do you think? I think uh, everybody should have the option to own. Well, let me take that back. Not everybody should have the option to own one. What options? What? 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 There. Who I shouldn't. Think, who shouldn't own a gun in the United States? And then that's a sticky subject too, because. What do you think? Personally, I think if you have some mental disabilities, you should not have access to a gun. Okay. That is probably the first for me, um, based on your age. I don't think just because you turn 18, you should be able to run out and get a gun. I think you are still mentally immature at 18, even though the law says you're an adult. I don't think so. I think maybe we need to bump that age up a little bit, at least in terms of um, pistols and semi-automatics. Mm -hmm. Hunting rifle, maybe. This young man wants to go hunt with his dad or his buddies. I get it. Mm -hmm. So Jeff, so Jeff, being more on the right leaning side, you're saying there should be things put in place. You think there should be some stricter laws than what are currently on the books? Because right now our justices, the current Supreme Court, six three conservative, um, they will not even put on their docket anything uh, that advocates for guns which is diametrically opposed to the current more Democrat Senate and president that we have currently in office, 2023. Uh, to me, there's politicalization going on, but they're not even going to talk about it this year. They're going to talk about other items. Well, I mean, so the law says that you can't drink alcohol until you're 21, but at 18, you can buy a gun. It does, just doesn't make sense to me. Second Amendment doesn't have an age statement. Yeah, it, it there should be regulations on that. What regulations do you think? Well, I mean, at least 21 years of age. You know, okay. you should have some formal training on that gun, too, and the responsibilities of it. Well, now what he just said, um, if I were sitting 
as one of those nine justices, I would sort of side with because it says the very first sentence, there's no periods in the Second Amendment. And folks just can't take the word the and free and suddenly say, that's what it's supposed to be for me because it suits their needs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, people talk about commas and they try to break it apart, but it says flat out the very first sentence. It does not say the first start of the sentence does not say the people keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Doesn't say that. It says right off the bat, a well-regulated militia. So who is the militia people? The people are the militia. That's all of us. Okay. It's designed so that people regularly train maintain their arms to form a protection against the U.S. government. Okay, obviously, um, when the United States, in my mind, illegally established a National Guard whose purpose is to protect the civilians, i.e. control the civilians, i.e. manage the civilians, they're basically saying that's my war machine, the government, to keep the people in line. I'm not really happy with that, but the good news is I have the Second Amendment that the federal government can't touch that says I should be able to own any weapon that the National Guard has because I, as a people, should be able to overthrow that National Guard. I should have as much power or more than them, and the government should not be able to limit that I have a rocket launcher or a grenade. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, let, let's walk our way through this. Now, is that reasonable? Okay. To have grenades and rocket launchers? I'm not an extremist, guys. So all you guys who are clicking away at your typewriters, stop. Hold up. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm saying in the spirit of the Second Amendment, we should have at least as much rights to defend ourselves as the government has to control us. Right? Okay. So are you for a rocket launcher? <laughs> no. Fuck no. I don't want people walking around with rocket launchers on their back. Jesus Oh, Christ. my. Could you imagine? I mean, we... <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oh, I just could not imagine. Oh, for, for the God, for the greater good of God. Um, nope. So, all right, guys, I have a stag junior sitting in my hand as I'm talking about this. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my background. Actually, you know, I want to hear from you a little bit about your background with gun and gun ownership from Detroit and your kids and family, how you raised a household with guns in it. Did you have guns in your house? And if you did, how did you manage that? Uh, growing up, I never had a gun in the house. Uh, we grew up in Detroit, had several break-ins. We had every opportunity and every need to have a gun in the house. Uh, my dad, coming from a background as a Vietnam veteran, he certainly, certainly knew how to handle his way around many types of weapons. Um, just did not have them. In, in the environment that I grew up in, we, that's the exact environment we grew up in. We should have had them. You should have had them. Absolutely should have had them. That was a perfect scenario to have of weapons. But in the early, early, did late, not. In, in the 80s, remember, yeah. gun ownership was very hard to come across. Right. Okay. Right. Now it's, it's quite a bit easier. And in Michigan, they have the castle laws. Castle laws have been reestablished right. and defined in Michigan, which means if you're in your own house back in the 80s, you, if, let's just say this, someone come in your house in the 80s and 70s, someone come in your house and they're going to, they have a baseball bat in their hand, you have a gun in your hand. According to the law, if there was no family member in your house and you had a reasonable exit, you had to try to exit before you killed the person that came in your house. Correct. Because property and stuff can be due, but life is not to be unforgiven. Uh, turns out now they close that loop, and in the 90s now, uh, the castle law says you can stand your ground. Doesn't matter about if you have a reasonable exit. Someone comes in your house with a baseball bat, you're in your house, whether you're alone or not, you have a, you can put a couple between his chest, and uh, that's his problem for illegally entering your house and presenting a menace. So, God, that's a fine line, too, man. Well, it's grave danger. You're, you're in grave danger getting your head beaten in by a baseball bat. Yeah, no, I get it, though. But, I mean, coming from my background, I've had several occasions where a buddy just walked into the house. And I, I would hate to have seen back in the day my poor buddy get murdered, you know, just mm -hmm. because he walked in the house and somebody felt threatened. And so you have an absolute responsibility to yeah. be well trained. And then, yeah, 100%. 
Well-trained is, is where I, I, I draw and I talk about in my family. So well-trained, I'm glad you brought that up. Well-trained, does that mean just going to the eight-hour CPL class to you? Because it certainly doesn't mean to me. No, no. So here's no. my background in guns. Um, I started out with a 22 plinker back when I was 18. Um, it led on to different, a couple different rifles as I was growing up. They're all for hunting. Folks, I do not own an AR-15. I never will. Um, I don't believe in the philosophy of an AR-15. Sorry, uh, America's not going to come to an end and, and start in a civil war. And to be honest, I don't ever, ever, ever want to have to practice and pretend like I'm going to put holes in another human being. Just not who I am. Okay. okay. And I've talked to my kids about that. Matter of fact, that conversation with my son changed his college um, major. He wanted to go into advanced weapons technologies, right? He wanted to join the military. He was all hyped up, and we had that conversation about, okay, you're going to spend the rest of your life designing ways to more efficiently kill humans, mm -hmm. right? EMPs, sonic booms, you know, ultrasonic thwarting, fry people from the inside out, all these ultrasonic weapons and stuff. You want to go and do that for your life? And he, it, 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 okay, good. If you want, that's fine. I'm not telling you no. But he went ahead and he changed his major based on one conversation. I thought it was a pretty smart conversation. So, so you're not in favor of the AR-15? I didn't say that. Folks can walk around with it strapped on their back if they really... Well, I don't like, advocate that either, but... Like, but they better be... They, they should be... Well-trained. They should be well-trained. And yeah. they should not be threatening and intimidating to... I, I think it serves a purpose. American. It definitely serves a purpose to have one, in my opinion. Well, look what happened in Argentina. Um good couple dozen years ago when the United States was threatening the borders and threatening to take over their fields. Okay. But even though Venezuela has themselves young oil fields, the government handed out to every single citizen AK-47s and they put them through a training class to say, now you're allowed. And they armed every single citizen, which sent the signal to the United States. If you're going to come on our property, it's going to be a guerrilla war for a street by street, mm -hmm. unlike Iran and Iraq, which took all the guns from their people. Mm. Now you have now you have a now they can't even defend themselves, and it basically leads us circle right back to why we have the Second Amendment and why it's so important. Hate to say it, besides the biggest oceans on Earth keeping us our shorelines protected from ambush, right? Who's going to come fight street for street on the United States when they know we're a bunch of wild saloon, wild west people, right? I don't know if I would classify people as in that in that way. <laughs> you know, I, I think you have people who I own these weapons. I don't think anyone's coming on our shoreline no, anytime no, soon. They, know they shouldn't. Yeah, they've they got shouldn't. every single citizen's armed. Let, let that be a warning to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, no, it's unlike a good you, point, though. It's a good point. Unlike you, I, I believe in owning an AR-15. I think it definitely serves a purpose for multiple attackers. I believe in having an AR-15 also. Okay. Oh, maybe I misunderstood you. I'm sorry. I, I believe in owning one. But you I would just, never do it. No, because if okay. something's coming in my house, I, I got a, I got buckshot. Okay. I'm sorry. That The number one simplest way to ward off someone, I don't even have to think about it. I'm not going to give you a laser. I'm not going to point a laser at you. Because in the dark, oh, you can see it when you train in the dark, which I do. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, let me go backwards. Let me give you guys just a little bit of background as I sip on the the backside of this uh, Stag Junior. Which everyone who wants to get offended, raise your left hand. Okay, <laughs> raise your left hand and say, "Oh, Stag is the greatest. Stag Junior is the greatest. Stag Junior, I just tasted it. It's, Not the greatest. It's sweet up front." Harsh in the middle, lays down in the back, and guess what? You know what I'd rather have? You know what I'd rather have instead? Now, this is 130 proof, okay? That's a spicy meatball. It does it. It's a, it's a spicy <laughs> it's a meatball. spicy meatball. Yes, sir. So if you like that, that's cool. Yep. I would... I take Larceny Barrel proof. It, and you know, all, here, all day long, I take Larceny Barrel proof. Here's an ironic thing, though, about what we're talking about. We're talking about two things that absolutely should not go together, and that's <laughs> alcohol and <laughs> firearms. Wow. Just don't do it. 
Don't do it. It is actually against the law. So, Correct me so if like, I'm wrong. It is against the law. So for sure. So everyone knows, or not everyone knows, but you're going to find out. So I am a fully trained CPL carrier. I train once a year. Now it's every other year. But I do what's called a course of fire. So I'm not just standing behind a target. I actually, we we walk and you walk a course of fire. And you're, you're, you're practicing, reloading your mags. You're dropping down to a knee. You're firing two to the body, one to the chest. You're practicing walking away, firing your weapon. You're practicing uh, holstering and unholstering. Um, we practice misfires, stovepipes. When your gun gets jammed, tap, rack, reload, tap, double tap, double tap, uh, reload, you know, whatever you got to do, we do that so that within one and a half seconds, you're back to throwing lead down range. Okay. So me and my gun, we know each other really well. I started out with a, uh, a small <laughs> nine millimeter. I started out with a Ruger. This is my rifle. This is my gun. <laughs> and now I've moved on to, uh, I got a SIG 229 SAO Legion. Okay. And that's my carry. Now it's a little bit heavy for carrying for me, but I uh, also have my loose fit clothing. I do carry everywhere I go. When I know for a fact that I'm going to have a drink, the gun's put away. The gun is not sitting in a car. It's not sitting in a thing. The gun's put away. I do not and will not allow myself the worst case scenario of drinking and then having the ability to defend myself with a gun. Okay. Cause you will spend 15 to 20 years in jail, regardless of the outcome in Michigan, you will go to jail and you're going to sit for a long, long time. So let's, I'm glad you brought that out. You don't do it. You don't even think about it. And if you think you're going to do any drinking, you put your gun away. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with you on that. Now, I uh, am a CPL holder as well. I will not tell you if I'm carrying every day or not. Um, hopefully, you'll never have to give me in a situation where you have to find out. But you train. I am trained. I what kind of training do, do training. Uh, like you, live simulator training. Uh, we do a course where we do go through an obstacle course. Uh-huh. Obstacles pop up. You don't know if it's a good guy or bad guy until that obstacle pops up. You don't know where that obstacle is popping up at. And I actually would like to get together with you and the guys and do a uh, a training session one day. I think that'd be a fun opportunity for us to to bond. I think in Clarkston or in Waterford, I've got one uh, a place out there that does like once a year. They'll let you do a walking course, okay, with a guide behind you. Um, and those are all fun and cute. So, but I I do believe like my son uh, and my wife, they both are trained on it. Now, every one of my guns at home have night sights. I've got Trigicons, right? And I do a lot of my training is in the dark. Uh, 80% of all home attacks are at night in the complete dark. And it completely changes your aspect of uh, how you're going to defend yourself. Because folks are saying, oh, Jeff, what would you do? You had a shotgun. What's the first thing you do? You rack your gun to let them know that a shotgun's coming after them. Is that a good idea? No, not at all. Why? Because now they know where you're at, where it's coming from, what to expect. Gives them time to get away. Hopefully they do get away. You don't want to kill that, nobody. That sound I don't doesn't scare anyone. If they're in your house, they're already adrenaline. They're already drugged up. They can't feel anything. Their heart's already racing. And there's a good chance that they have a weapon in their hands because they want to control the situation. You rack a gun, and now they know whether you're on the lower level or the upper level. So first things first, if you're going to defend yourself, you need to have complete element of surprise. How about having a laser? If I have a laser, I'm going to put it on his chest and tell him, take one more step and you're dead. Do you do that? No, but I will tell you this. I always know what's behind Whatever I'm shooting at, I always know what's behind that person. It's what are what are the four rules? That's the fourth rule. That's absolutely because right. you you don't want to accidentally mistaken your child sleeping in bed and some dude in the hallway and you let loose and he gets hit by buckshot. You don't want that to happen. So, so. I know that in the upstairs, the only area that I have complete um, positional is when I'm upstairs aiming down. Don't give that away. Well. 
you're you're in trouble in my house anyway. Because there <laughs> is there's away. a pistol on each level, and they're strategic, and it gives I have the strategic advantage. I've practiced, and we practice in the house your strategic advantage. So my daughter, who's 20 years old, imagine if middle of the day, she's home. We're all at work. She's at college, and all of a sudden the dogs bark, and all of a sudden one of the dogs cry out. Right? Someone's in the house. Okay, so she knows exactly where the upstairs gun is, and it's also in a position so that when someone walks by the hallway, she has the angle. The person has to turn 270 degrees to see her, and if she doesn't recognize the face... Wow, you broke that down in the degrees. She recognizes the menace. The man's getting shot, and she also knows to shoot through walls because... Uh, drywall, don't stop a bullet. No. And so. uh, for you ladies out there listening, don't keep your damn gun in your purse. It's not doing you any good with uh-huh. the gun in your purse. That's keep it on your hip. For, but that's not always. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, a lot of these people, they run in these steel, steel women's purses and the gun is in there. Just like mace. I gave my wife some mace. I said, hey, where's that mace at? What's in my purse? A lot of good it's doing you on your purse. Maybe mm-hmm. click it to the side of the purse, maybe. But. In an attack, you don't have an opportunity to unzip your purse. And if, ladies, if you're like my wife, your shit falls to the bottom. So you don't necessarily have an opportunity to unzip the purse, grab the gun, cock it, lock it, and shoot. I recommend you keep it on your side. The hate, the hate mail you're going to get is that folks are going to say that they have purses that have the slide. And that's perfect. If it's got slide on it, that's perfect. I'm talking about but physically like said, inside the purse. If someone grabs purse. a purse and pulls a purse away, now your your personal self-defense protection is going with it. And now you have to fight to even maintain it. And if they have that purse in there and they feel that brown lump, you could be in a lot worse trouble. Which is, getting, what, which so, is why I advocate you keep it on your head. Right, I changed my opinion. I think it should keep it on their persons. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, keep your gun on your persons, whether you're male or female. Mm-hmm. I agree. Touchdown. Um, what else do you have over there drinking? I am drinking some Clyde Mays 12-year cask strength, and it's pretty good. I haven't had it in a very long time. I think I picked it up when we were in South – actually, you know what? No. The one I got in South Carolina was the 110, the 12-year I got for a birthday gift from my dear wife. Gotcha. I'm it's gonna pretty think. flavorful. I like it. You like it? It's been a long time since I've had it. Good. Get Take a drink. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about the smells and the taste. Well, Clyde it's, all, May, it's, it's almost gone. It's definitely got a spicy, bold taste to it. Bold. I would say coming out of Alabama, I, I'd say yeah. all the Clyde Mays is bold. Would, would you agree? It's pretty bold. I would. I would. It, it's very drinkable. What's the smoothest of the Clyde Mays? Oh, damn. Um, it's been a while since I've visited them, so I'd have to, to visit them one night on the patio this summer and, and come have, back with that opinion. Cli- this is pretty good. Yeah, this is pretty good though. I am actually enjoying this. It's been a long time since I've had it. I would, uh, you can pull out whatever sound button we need, but this stag junior, if I just told you guys that I can have old granddad, if I could have wild Turkey rare breed, which those are all lower proofs, but in the higher proofs right now, larceny barrel proof would, uh, I would rather have that than stag junior brother, brother. I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save myself uh, about a good two, three hundred dollars, and I'm gonna uh, go to a lower thing than the Stag Junior. Now you can't say the same thing about George T. Stag. No, but it's nice to have that on the shelf. Um, it's nice to have a bottle. Yeah, for that sure. That everyone can see that you're cool. <laughs> That's the whole reason you're doing it because you're cool. It's yes. the foolproof truth right there. <laughs> That's right. Is you don't have to have Stag Junior. There's a lot different, better bourbons out there at a much lower price. So PSA, if you have a bottle of George T. Stag on yourself, you are cool. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to move over to... We talked about it earlier. We talked about the Remus repeal. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about this, right? It just got me to thinking, man, I got to have another taste of that. So this one here is... Oh, I think you got Remus repeal 5. And they got 2005, 2006, 2008 blends of 21% rye, 36% rye. Um, and it's got different percentages of those year bourbons. So they're really working hard down in Lawrenceburg, um, coming out of Indiana, giving themselves uh, something new and unique. And I got to be honest. Very good. When I take a taste of it. Oh, yeah. So soft up front and soft 
it's caramel. This is this is a bottle I think that my co-host would um oh, God, take on a date to say politically correct. Oh, oh my god. Absolutely loves this bottle. He's Sweet making without being maple. Beautiful faces at it. Secondary taste falls back. It just got oh my god. It's got it's it's got so much character to it, and it's thicker than it, it drinks thicker than a hundred proof. I'm not going to lie to you. I probably could put this as a one one oh seven. Definitely something I want to put more on the shelf. Uh, well, I think every time they come out with it, they're they're yeah. doing a good job. So sure. and, and so you guys are going to see is we don't bash every single thing out there. There's there's really some good stuff out there to hunt, and there's some stuff not to hunt. Um, so Jeff, in wrapping up the gun uh, situation. We, neither one of us have talked about, and on purpose, we've never said gun control. Why do you think that is? Good question. I'm going to let you answer that. Well, gun gun control um, isn't something that we um, are necessarily looking to do, but I think common sense. Um, I think the idiot in the 1800s and the 1700s, I think the idiot who ran around with with he was a guy that was maybe mentally handicapped or maybe he wasn't the brightest guy. I think Darwin took care of them with their gun laws an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Darwin found him six feet under because he did said something stupid. He thought his gun was uh, an implementor of power and not an implementer of protection. Okay. And so I think that's what in America has a struggle with is guns are seen as an implementation of power. And realistically, you have to take this as an implementer of protection. And if you're in the mode of protecting yourself at all times, uh, I think you have the spirit of the Second Amendment. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's my foolproof truth opinion. Very well, folks. Hey, you've heard it here. No bullshit. All real. 100% of the time. Check us out on Facebook at the Foolproof Truth Bourbon Podcast. Hit us up on email at the Foolproof Truth Podcast. And we will see you on the next episode of The Foolproof Truth. Thank you for checking us Thank out. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thank have you, Mike. You folks have a great day.